G'day. Welcome to Lunch Money. My name is Nick Samios. I am the Director and Fund Manager here at Hermes Capital. Uh, so welcome. Um, as you know, Lunch Money is the online and social media home for workouts, special situations and capital raising professionals. And we have a couple of special situations, workouts and capital raising professionals to join us today. Um, just a quick reminder to anybody watching us live, that uh, question of the day gets the wonderful uh, lunch money mug. It's a special rare edition uh, exclusive just to, um, just to people who ask us questions whilst we're live. Uh, a reminder also to share, like or subscribe, whichever platform you might be watching us on, be it uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you are. Um, okay, what are we going to talk about today? Today, uh, I want you to imagine there's a chorus every time I, I say this. What's noise and what matters? We're going to uh, take a run through some of the news headlines this week, and there's some interesting topics to get through. And we're going to be asking every time uh, we come up to one of these headlines, what's noise and what matters? Is it, you know, whether it's China, the insolvency, uh, the insolvency wall, uh, the changes to the insolvency legislation, we're in recession, we're not in recession, um, responsible lending. We're going to see how much of all of these uh, noisy noisy headlines we can get to today. Um, I'm going to start off by introducing our first guest, Stephen Hathaway. G'day, Stephen. How are uh, you? Good morning or good afternoon, everyone. Uh, good to be here. Now, Stephen is a director at Helm Advisory, but he's also the president of the AIIP. Um, so what uh, what is it that keeps you busy uh, with both of those hats this week? Well, I I guess every insolvency practitioner in Australia is scratching their head and saying, how is it in the middle of a recession that we're not busy? It's extraordinary circumstances. What's keeping us busy is the new law reform, this new small business reconstruction uh, practitioner role, whether it's even relevant, whether it even has a, a, a need and the complexity of it. So that's keeping us going. Uh, I've had a fairly interesting year as being the president of the AIP, it's the Association of Independent and Salvage Practitioners. We've got about a third of the registered liquidators and trustees in Australia, and we get the chance to, to make submissions and do advocacy roles and run discussion groups. And uh, that's been interesting. Even though we couldn't hold any physical conferences, um, girls, Skype, Scoob, what is it, Zoom? Zoom. Just getting, uh, <laughs> Scoom, yeah, yeah. Zoom for Doom. Is yeah. So uh, that's uh, it's not it's not the appointments that are driving us. It's the need to uh, clear the decks and be ready. Uh, we're all thinking that the next few months are certainly going to be more interesting in the last six or seven or eight months. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, the you know the the, the finger in the dark can only go for so long. I mean. I can't imagine, I don't think there's anything the government can do to stop uh, a wave of restructures, you know, in the near future. I've been speaking to some people um, and, you know, apparently the banks are sitting on a ton of stuff. Tell me, with the, with, with the AIIP, um, I mean, th there hasn't been a lot of engagement from the government with these new new changes. I mean, I don't think they've spoken to any of the industry bodies. No, that's not true. Uh at the beginning of the year, we were invited into the Ombudsman's room to talk about law reform, and uh, this was before it started, the pandemic, this Kate Cunnell 
and we made a whole series of submissions. It was clear that they were after some simplification of the liquidation regime. And through the process, they, they throw out the bones to our organisations and other organisations in this space, associations. You know who they are, I don't need to mention them. But uh, whether they listen or not, you write these papers and you talk to them, but something in Canberra has their own bent on thinking that they're the ones that have, have got the solution. Not totally sure if they've got to understand the problems, but anyway, it's uh, and we'll it, see you in the next what 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 changes would I mean? How how would it be tweaked? What what do your members want to see uh, in terms of tweaking that? Uh, look, you could run a seminar just on that. Um, the details trickling out is a sort of a concept of a new uh, registration. Um, the criteria of which these things apply. Uh, then there's this idea of being able to quickly report, certify, hold meetings. Uh, prove some scheme, hand the certificates back to the directors, keep trading. It, uh, look, the voluntary administration regime brought in '93 took years to uh, think through properly. This one you know, has really got the, the chances of just being too quickly baked. Mm. Um, my other take and other insolvency practitioners is that the damage has been done um, and the zombies have most of them are possibly dead and just need to be deregistered. Mm-hmm. And the ones that have survived have got the dynamic managers that have a bit more capital behind them, and they probably won't need this sort of regime. Um, yeah. There'll possibly be more CVLs with requiring a, a decent treatment of assets. And I'm not talking Phoenix here. Yeah. I'm talking um, you know, proper uh, valuations and processes to yeah. move those assets. They do need to be hiving down as an expression that other regimes have used. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, supporting Phoenix, and that's that's not appropriate. Well, as you know, uh, the zombies or white walkers of this world like to uh, prey on the flesh of the living, and uh, I guess that's that's a concern, uh, the contagion effect. But listen, we'll come back to that in a minute. I'll just put you back in the waiting room and introduce uh, Darren Anderson, our other guest for today. G'day, Darren. How are you? Good afternoon, Nick. I'm great, thank you. Fantastic. Darren is the Managing Director at ERA Legal. And uh, what's been keeping you busy of late, Darren? Uh, well, this week, gearing up for 2021. So uh, as Steve just mentioned, things have been uh, inexplicably quiet in the middle of a uh, recession, uh, particularly in the insolvency realm. But I think um, things are really going to pick up um, come 1 January, I think there's going to be a, a flood of statutory demands coming out on the 1st of January or very close thereafter uh, when the three-week uh, period um, returns rather than having to wait six months. I think a lot of um, creditors who have been um, have been sitting on their recovery processes waiting for 1 January to come along and I think uh, we're going to get um, a flood and that there'll be a lot of work in that in terms of uh, issuing statutory demands but also applying to set aside statutory demands and also giving advice to companies in distress who have received statutory demand. So I think that's going to be keep us very busy. Uh, so have you have you been are you are you are you preparing these demands now? Are you getting clients 
contacting you and saying, uh, here's a list of stuff that's got to go out on the 1st of Jan? I've got a lot of statutory demands locked and loaded and ready to go on the 1st of January. Yeah. Right. Um, so and and, and your, got, colleagues, your colleagues are the same? Are there other, other lawyers that you speak to around town? Uh, I haven't sp- I haven't been speaking to many lawyers around town about about that that issue particularly, but I can tell you I've got about ten million dollars in statutory demands ready to go on one yeah. January. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I and I anticipate and and we're not a credited practice. We're an we're an insolvency yeah. reconstruction practice, and the practices that are. Uh, credited driven uh, will have a lot more than ten million ready to go. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also gearing up our lending practice for twenty twenty one. Yeah. For uh, a number of uh, non bank lenders, um, uh, Hermes, uh, of course, being one of them. And yeah. uh, in the in the twelve months before COVID hit us, we did. Um, roughly $1.2 billion in loans uh, out of uh, ERA legal for our private lender clients. And in the first seven months of COVID, we did $50 million, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, was yeah. a, which was a massive drop. And in the yeah. last six weeks, we've done about $100 million. So um, things okay. are starting to pick up. Yeah. Uh, so we're quite excited about that, and I think um, I think the private lending market will be back on track uh, come uh, come early 2021. So we're quite excited about that, and quite excited about how things are going to pick up. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, I'll bring back Stephen Hathaway. Okay. Now let's uh, we've got we've got a bunch of different articles. I thought I'd take the news article headline approach today because it it gives us a good uh, a good framework for getting through some interesting topics. Uh, the first one I've got is the collapse of Grollo. Um, it's, it's, there's obviously lots of entities within the Grocon Empire, and a bunch of those went into voluntary administration uh, uh, earlier in the week, or was it early this week after? Um, after there was some consternation as to whether or not it actually happened and there was some chatter on uh, on social media. My first question is, is this noise or does this matter? Is this, do you think, um, just a, a one-off event or is this the beginning of the insolvency wave? Darren? Um, it, it may be the beginning of the insolvency wave. My, my view has been that builders uh, are probably going to be one of the industries that come out of the um the, the crisis we've been in better than most because uh, the government's supporting the building industry um, and, it, and I, I think they're going to come out of it better than, than most industries. But uh, the issue about, uh, I think, Grollo was no one was surprised about uh, Grocon's financial difficulties. I think the only surprise might, might have been that some of these companies haven't done things sooner. Uh, the opportunity that companies have had to uh, restructure in an insolvency context over the last six months are unprecedented. Uh, mm. And uh, the thing that has surprised me most is that large companies like Grocon haven't um, mm. grasped mm. the opportunity sooner, um, uh, which I've been very surprised about. But um, I, I don't know whether we're going to see mm. a lot of big companies uh, restructuring, um, uh, they, the, the opportunity that that opportunity uh, has been presented for a long time. So, 
Well, I, I guess um, I guess before we, there's some other interesting details to, to talk about there. But one of the the first things that when I first heard about it was there was a query as to whether or not FTI were going to get the job or whether or not it was going to be called a mentha. I think was it FTI was favoured by, or I think quarter method was favoured by the bank, and FTI was favoured by the directors. Um, Stephen, do you think there's going to are we going to see more of these standoffs between insolvency firms on some of these bigger jobs? Do you think coming into the into the insolvency well, cliff? Look, when a when a big organisation like this is uh, needing to appoint, there's always the beauty pageant that used to take place. Uh, the players that were around in the 80s and 90s. Some of them had their name changed, of course, that evolved into it. But if they've been uh, marketing in that space to the bankers, that uh, type of activity is normal. Um, and, of course, it's usually heralded that people have a general idea of the stress that some of those big companies are under. Um, and it's never, never completely out of the blue. There's the faults on payment. Uh, they usually got some issue going on in the courts, and this is surprising. They've got an issue going on with the state government here in New South Wales. So you go back to concrete construction days, I think it was a separate list up there in the Supreme Court just for them alone. So fighting uh, fighting your creditors and fighting uh, issues in the building industry is not unreal. I just yeah. wanted to pick up, I think that the building industry is just more than just the big end of town. I my observations are that uh, if you've got a government contract, you're pretty safe. If you're out there building the new airport in Sydney or the transport links, the state government's not going to not pay you. You've got to be within your budget. But even if you're not in your budget, they still seem to pay because of the contracts like the light rail. Uh, then there's also regional builders too. I, I, I don't know if, you, if the viewers have ventured outside Sydney or Maybe they are coming in Sydney, but a lot of the country towns, the builders are flat out. It's brought out around an extraordinary period of growth. So I, I, it used to be, look, if a big builder went down in the 80s and 90s, the flow-on effect would be through the subbies. But this is this is not like anything else we've ever seen. So pockets of it, there'll be suffering. Apartments are uh, going to struggle, but uh, residential real estate seems to go up in them. You know, it's the papers are... Well, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I could start on a, a four-hour rant about money printing and uh, an asset inflation. We won't go down that, that path today. Um, and, and, look, I think there is a lot of this, uh, you know, JobKeeper and, uh, and and support that's ending up in, in house renovations. But, but Stephen, um, one of the other headlines related to this Rollo matter, if we can just flash it up, I think it was in the paper today. Grocon were terminated, I think it was by impact, on a very large project uh, in Melbourne. And I think that uh, uh, my understanding is that Grollo was hoping to sort of quarantine that project away from all of the other uh, entities that were going into administration. I don't know if that project was... You know, it was one of the companies that administration was conducting or another company in his group, but he had been hoping to quarantine it. Um, and, you know, Impact have said, well, you're, you know, it was in the paper today, Impact apparently have said, well, you're asking us for to, to fund, you know, this job, but there's still subbies that haven't been paid. So that opens up two lines of questioning. The first one is, you know, I think there will be a domino effect, don't you think? Depends on the contracts. There'll be other builders needing to, to complete these projects. Uh, you know, lend lease, and uh, there'll be other capable builders of that scale to take up the projects. You can't have a building uncomplete; it's just got to get itself done. 
And it's not always that you leave these people out. Now, given this, I know you say don't talk about it, but this unprecedented flooding of the system with money, yeah. uh, if, you, if, you, if you're well in Melbourne and you went into Daryl Anders, uh, sorry, uh, oh gosh, Andrew, Andrew's job, uh, the Premier's name. Daniel Andrews. Daniel um, Andrews. Uh, officers said there's jobs involved. There'd be a government and out of some sort. If you were yelling at Josh Freiberg, you know, protect the protect the industry here, there'd be another writing of a few checks. It's unprecedented the amount of money they're flooding into the system. It's yeah. making the Rudd uh, Gillard uh, uh, years look like you know tuck shop money compared to what they're doing now. So it's uh, it may be that the governments and uh, want these buildings completed. They need to keep the jobs rolling. They don't want massive standoffs. It's not like the old days. Okay. Well, da- Darren, um, just to put you on the spot a little bit, I know that you don't write every word of the Herald, uh, the famous ERA newsletter, um, but there was uh, there was an article in there this week uh, about um, uh, specifically about the construction industry. Uh, you know, there there are a couple of things. I mean, there are there are these issues where, for example, a head contractor can can step over, like say if it's a government project, they can, or, or impact, for example, could could step over Grollo and pay the pay the subbies direct if they want, except impact is saying that they've already paid for the work completed, right? So so, so impact saying, well, we've completed, we've paid for that, but the subbies haven't been paid yet. Uh, sorry, you say impact paid the subbies directly, is that? No, no, in this matter, impact is saying, well, we've already paid Grollo, we've already paid Grocon for the work. But the subbies haven't been paid, which is not an yeah. uncommon scenario. Yeah, the, the the problem you always find in insolvency context context uh, when that occurs on a building side is the union getting involved, and notwithstanding that the developer may have paid the um, uh, the bu- the 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 builder, uh, and the subbies haven't got paid. That it, it, it's always creating issues with the unions, but. Um, mm. Uh, I, I I would take. Um, I think it's quite a complex issue with that termination of that that building contract in Melbourne. You, could, you you've always got to scratch your head and query as whether impact uses as an opportunity to get itself out of the building contract. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if particularly if Grocon uh, were set up ready to complete the project, query whether um, the insolvency fell into the hands of impact to allow them to. Um, yeah. Cut a better deal. I'm not suggesting that's the case, but it, it's something you can scratch your head and ask a yeah. question about. Um, look, another thing I might ask, uh, I might ask uh, you, Stephen. One of, one of the things that appeared in one of these newspaper articles about Grollo was uh, where is it? Apparently, he'd signed. Uh, well, he hadn't signed a solvency resolution, and you have to sign this solvency resolution within two months, maybe of the end of financial year. It's part of a thing that companies have to do every year. But uh, evidently, he had not signed this solvency resolution. Uh, I don't know exactly what the impact of that is. Uh, do you think there's many companies floating out there of this size that haven't solved, signed their annual solvency resolutions for ASIC? Uh, I've picked that up in some of the papers as well, that the, the number of even listed companies on the Australian stock market is, is, is close. Uh, look, I don't... What, what I did think was interesting in this, normally... The, you go to the to the news and say, right, I've appointed. But they didn't do that. They said, we're going to appoint, or we have appointed, uh, we've passed the resolutions, and then everyone asked, well, who did you appoint? 
And I think it took a week, uh, if not a week, you know, five business days to then work out well which of the which of the uh, administrators finally got it. So I don't I don't think there's any rules about that. You just got to make sure you're not trading in that period. Uh, you know, for well, well, well of, I, of I think trading claim, but yeah. apart from that. It seems a bit strange. Maybe they were still doing their beauty contest with the big players to say what sort of deal. And I also, my other observation is that's an extraordinarily low number of companies for something like that. There must be other companies in that group. Yeah. Haven't done the searches, don't bother to do them, but I'd be a bit surprised that there'd be over 100, 200 companies of that sort of building company and they've only put, what, 36 in, yeah. uh, whether they've saved some or they're just not applicable. But... Um, I'm not even sure that they've got the whole shooting game for growth. Well, well, I think we may have seen another domino fall today if Impact have walked out. So this, Stephen's talked about the, the process of appointing the administrators. And I know, you know, I got the gossipy SMS, have you heard, that Growcon have gone, who got the job, it was FTI, no, it wasn't, it was Cordamentha. And I think what was going on there, because Grollo was in, on social media announcing it, and my feeling is that he was trying to strong arm the New South Wales government. So without going into the specifics there, I wonder if that's a tactic that we're going to see with, you know, people sort of publicly threatening administration. I mean, so usually that sort of thing goes on behind closed doors. But is this a new trend as well, Darren? Um, I've, I've never been a fan of running your insolvency case or your litigation in the media uh, or trying to strong arm people uh, with threats. Um, or trying to get the press on side, I, I just don't think it works, uh, and I, I think it's pretty—it's a pretty weak argument. I think threats—if you're going to make it, you need to follow through on. So if they—if they think they were going to strong on the New South Wales government uh, by running some press campaign, uh, that I think they were. Um, uh, very sad to find the result was not what they had, had expected. All right, well, look, we'll move on to our next headline. Okay, Rockville Dining Group uh, slides to $80 million loss as COVID closure, closures bite. Um, now, my, my query here is, now, obviously, this is a, a historical, you know, this is a looking back figure where they've lost money, you know, uh, over the, over a recent period, and we can understand why with, with restaurant closures. $80 million strikes me as being an awful lot of money for a, for a, for a restaurant group. But my query is, are we... Uh, <laughs> This talk of us being out of recession, is that just noise, Darren? Well, can we just talk about the restaurants? My understanding is very few restaurants, particularly high-end restaurants, make money. So I wouldn't get worried about the the rock the rock pool group per se, whether it's in COVID or or, or out of COVID. Um, I have uh, serious concerns about. However, the restaurant industry in uh, Victoria, particularly the small operators, how how they're going to cope over the next 12 months when they've got people back in their restaurants, how they're going to cope with the fact that they haven't had income uh, for the last six months. You know, they're going to have their mortgages backed up. They're going to be dealing with landlords. They're going to be dealing with a whole uh, array of issues and what is the relief or what are the plans to help those cafes out small mum and dad cafe owners who borrowed money against their mortgage to buy a cafe in melbourne and we're doing a great job and then we're out of the businesses for six months what are we going to do about that over the next 
12, 12, 24 months, I think that's going to be where the big issue is in, in small, uh, small hospitality. Uh, I really worry and, um, uh, and sad for those people because they were running good businesses, working very hard and through, through absolutely no fault of their own, probably really no fault of anybody in particular, um, um, their lives have been ruined. What, that, that's going to be the real issue. What do you think, Stephen? I mean, are you buying it that we're out of a recession? I mean, it seems odd to be sort of chirping about being out of recession when we've, you know, we're, we're probably about to face, you know, record insolvencies. Uh, look, uh, Darren, you're on point. Your observations about the damage done. Some businesses are mortally wounded, bleeding at the knee, and they don't know it yet. If you go back to 2007 and eight, when the damage was done in the financial markets, the solvency industry was running hot for three or four years, five years after that. People had walked in and said, we just couldn't get our balance sheets back again and we needed to have it resolved. Some of the damage is not always uh, uh, you know, obvious at the time, but it, it's crept in and a whole lot of behavioural things have taken place in this pandemic that need to be really thought through. You know, the academic world is... You know, what's that mean? Are we going to get the Chinese uh, students back, all the industries that are around them? Uh, what sort of industry are we going to have in that education space? Uh, so the, the, the damage is done. The comment about high-end um, catering or, or dining has always been tr tricky. It's such a high expense. Uh, and number of celebrity chefs you could Google it that usually go broke every 10 years and it's not surprising not getting that sort of money being spent in their uh, in their restaurants but uh, extraordinarily um, things like um, uh, you know even my, my little street that I've, I've got an office on Carrington Street another restaurant's opened up in the last month uh, and another runs renovated and incidentally, one's closed. So it's the evolution of what we see in every city. We look back over a number of decades of us coming and going down the streets of Sydney. Many businesses come and go. Um, sure. I don't think that we're seeing the end of this. And look, the government crowing about return of productivity, really. I mean, you're pumping so much money in there. And, and to brag that some sort of growth numbers have come back, oh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, you can't take it. It's, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that they've got to, you know, they've got to try and uh, tell us everything's all right. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to, I guess it's the old thing about uh, you don't want to talk too much doom and gloom because then people don't want to get out of bed in the morning. But, Stephen, I'll, I'll start with you and then I'll come to you, Darren. One thing that uh, I'm sure you've often seen as an insolvency practitioner is you've done a restructure, you've, you've taken the client through the voluntary administration process, they've come out at the other end under a deed of company arrangement, in other words, they've made a deal with all of their creditors, and you're hoping, you know, they, they got into that mess for a particular reason, and then, then sometimes what they want to do is, even though the deed of company arrangement was for the creditors to get 15 cents in the dollar, they suddenly go, they, they get, they say, oh, look, I really want to pay this person 100 cents and that person 100 cents. And it's almost like, you know, you've gone to all that trouble to restructure the business. But then they're dragging out the, the sins of the past and revisiting on the new entity. Uh, you, you've seen that sort of thing? And, do you, and how are we going to encourage people to, to take their medicine once and for all this time around? Uh, gosh, we all knew that answer. God. Uh, 
the world of denial and the world of just making people make hard decisions has always been there. Uh, if you can get them in the room and you get a decent deal and you're able to save the business, have they learned any from them? Uh, you know, lucky in my career, I've had no reoccurring business with some people and yeah, and behold, the phone will ring and say, remember me? And it might have been 10 or 15 years ago, they're walking in again because it's all blown up. Um, no, I don't think there's, a, there's never one easy fix in an answer to those sorts of questions. Everything's got its... Some businesses, of course, some industries, of course, have completely and utterly changed. And you, no matter how much digging around the, the business, the, the business is just falling apart. Um, I look, you talk about retail. It's the the uh, black, uh, sorry, the last sales day was a record moving of parcels in the 120 year Australia Post history. So what's that mean? Massive number of people buying online. Yeah. Uh, they're consuming, but they're not walking into the shops. They're they're doing it all. What do you think on that question, Darren? Of uh, you know, we've all seen it where the company. You know they've restructured. Everybody's done. done you know the, the administrators have done yeah. a lot of hard work to to get it done. But then they just either fall back into their old habits or they try and drag some of the old debt into the new company. The problem is that the plan hasn't been sorted out correctly from the start. Now yeah. there there are fabulous opportunities going twenty twenty one for companies to work with professional insolvency practitioners, their lawyer their accountant and a financier like Hermes who knows about restructuring and recapitalising businesses through a restructure process, yeah? That's why these fail. They fail because they're sold by a particular person, often a pre-insolvency advisor as a panacea. The plan's not sorted through properly. The banks aren't brought on back. Uh, on board and a refinancier uh, isn't there in the mix from the start. Unless you've got a plan coming out and, and a proper recapitalization plan, it's not going to work. But there are plenty of opportunities if people start thinking about it and working with the right professionals and the right uh, financiers about coming out the other end, the restructure will work. Yeah? That, that, that's what yeah. needs to happen. Again, well, people need to like see people who are who are really interested in seeing businesses come out the other end and survive and thrive. There are some businesses that VAs aren't right for because the businesses are, are, are really just finished. You know, They are zombies, but there are plenty of opportunities to restructure businesses that have been hurt uh, and, and can come out the other end as, as viable and profitable. Yeah, I mean, my advice to people would be whoever you choose to to be your advisor, you need a team, you know, uh, and uh, you need to ask everyone on that team, have you done this before and can yeah. you point me to three success stories, yeah. you know, where you've if, actually if your team, Yeah, if your te- team is a pre-insolvency advisor and a insolvency practitioner and that is all that your team consists of, uh, you've only got half the team. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, listen, we'll try and get to one more headline before we wrap up. What's uh, what's the next one we've got here? All lending laws into line with Wagyu and Shiraz. The Treasurer announced a little while ago that they were going to uh, more or less scrap the uh, responsible lending laws. The responsible lending obligations came in 
uh, during you know the the GFC. Uh, Wayne Swan brought in these regulations to. Uh, uh, I, I personally think it was a response to to an American problem, not an Australian problem. Uh, but the idea was uh, to put more responsibility on the bank to make sure that people could fulfil their obligations, and it was it was aimed at consumers. It wasn't aimed at small business. But the trouble is that the banks, um, you know, by certainly these these obligations transferred through to small business, and I I personally think that it crimped. Uh, a crimped ability of small businesses to raise capital. I mean, do you what do you what do you think, Darren? You see a lot of action in this in this space. Do you think that they should uh, peel the laws back, or do you think they should stay as they are? Firstly, can I say my heart bleeds for the for the um, big four banks. Uh, bleeds for for them. Prince Harry, Harry apparently said last night that COVID COVID was nature's revenge. Uh, one might think that COVID might have been conjured up by by the big banks in order to uh, avoid the consequences of the Royal Commission, but um, sounds like you're coming uh, the across to my side. Responsible lending. I, I think the Royal Commission for the banks was a good thing. I think the banks needed a shake up. They really needed a shake up um, to to, um, to to let um, the people who got out of hand uh, understand that some of their practices weren't on. Um, but is it really APRA and the government regulation, or is that just something that the, the banks are telling us because they want they want the um, government to really go back to the days where there's no regulation whatsoever? So mm. I think I think it's a political game being being played in the background. Right. Um, okay. And so I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure that that you can believe what you read. I think the banks want to lend; they will lend. Um, so uh, I, I think it, uh, my, my personal view is, is that it's a bit of a beat-up. You know, it's interesting. Martin okay. North calls uh, calls JobKeeper uh, BankKeeper. Um, yeah. So uh, that sort of fits in there. Any I think thoughts, the big uh, issue, Nick, Nick, sorry, I thought the big issue is uh, if, if we were going to have a minute or two on it is, is about what's happening in China. That's really right. Okay, it. sure. Yeah, go for it. Go. Well, let's just quickly show the headline. Uh, okay, so it's obviously impacted heavily on the wine sector, uh, you know, with people now talking about, although I understand yesterday there was a global campaign um, around the world for people to buy Aussie wines, but I don't think we can pull that out for, for every little thing. What, what do you think? What I want to know is, is when are we going to understand that we are part of Asia, not part of America and not part of Europe? Like Paul Keating was, was trying to educate back in the 80s that we were part of Asia and not part of America, not part of Europe. But for some reason, we still think we're, we're part of America or part of Europe. And if we don't, we don't start dealing with China and showing it the respect that it needs to be shown, then, then it's gonna, these things are going to keep happening. This will decimate the wine industry. What, what, what do you think, Stephen? I mean, there's respect, showing respect, and there's deference. I suppose. What, what, what are your thoughts? And, and do you think are you, do you think it's going to impact on insolvency? Oh, look! Today's paper's got iron ore prices at one hundred and forty dollars, and we're making more money out of the Chinese on a month by month basis. So yeah, these yeah. Uh, little rats. Uh, look, I, I support you know the, the idea that we, we do uh, belong in Asia, and we we should be. Dealing with trading, there's extraordinary economies at our uh, doorstep. Uh, Indonesia, for example, 300 million, all trying to slowly get into the middle class. 
they'd like to be buying our wines. Um, there's other countries, the Thailand, there's Malaysia. I, we sometimes, um, yeah, I, 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 it's just difficult to know. There's just so, so much chatter in this space. And to ask the Chinese to apologise, I mean, we've just got to listen to them a bit harder and try to work Wait, with them. Can I just say this? Good luck all in getting Australia. <laughs> Good luck yeah. in getting Australians to drink yellowtail. It's a bit like getting Australians <laughs> to drink Foster's beer, you know. So yeah. if the recovery is going to be about getting Australians to buy and drink yellowtail, that's not going to be the way through to the recovery. You look for other emerging markets. Uh, you've got to always be looking for if anyone running a business, you're always looking around for different different customers. You just shouldn't just focus all on on one uh, one country and one deal, we all know that the old eggs in one basket was the the old uh, uh, statement yeah. you'd make. So you diversify right. your your income. All right, guys. Listen, we we are out of time. Uh, we are out of time. So I would like to thank you both for uh, joining me on this, which was episode thirty-seven, and it's also our last uh, full-scale episode for the year. We are going to. Keep a weekly show going, but it's going to be just uh, 10 to 15-minute episodes one-on-one. I think we're going to call it Lunch Money Quick Bites over the summertime. Um, So thank you very much, uh, Stephen Hathaway and Darren Anderson. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, on this episode. It's been really interesting. Thanks, Nick. And duck off and have a little glass of yellowtail. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. Okay, thank you very much.